Hello, all you out there, and welcome to the Between Two Worlds podcast. I'm your host, Scott Trout, and here we have a second episode from my friend, Hadil. So go back and listen to her first episode if you haven't. She describes how she is half Arab, half American, and growing up feeling like she doesn't fully belong, and what that did to her sense of belonging in the universe and how God met her in that space. Super fun to hear her story, and Hadil is hilarious and just lays it down. Super cool to see her confidence in just the stories that she has learned, the lessons that she's learned, and how, yeah, God walked through that with her. And so now we turn, uh, because of her sensibility of, of feeling like the outsider, she has a heart for others who feel that way. And what we got into in this conversation is about race and racial narratives that could be unconscious, un- unaware of, that create a sense of outsidership towards others. So ultimately, these are these are conversations that we uh, need to have, and a really important one, really good for Hadil. I feel like I learned a lot from her. And uh, just so you know, we actually split up uh, this full conversation into two parts. So this first one's on uh, race and kind of stepping into the discomfort that can happen and how good that can be for you. And the second one is about women in the church and the Christian faith and what that's like for Hadil as she grew up seeing, or it's seeming like that uh, the Bible is directed only for men or the church leadership was only for men. And so these were two hard conversations and I hope you enjoy them. Ultimately, the hope of this podcast is to fill our uh, minds with the perspective of someone who doesn't think like us. So I hope you get that chance here with Hadil and take a listen to her part three when it comes out. watch that movie with Chris Rock that did about good hair it's oh. like daughters asked him he was, she was like well daddy how come I don't have good hair and he's like but who told you you don't have good hair hmm. and then they like explored the history of like the hair industry like the black hair industry in America and how it ties with slavery and like the straighter your hair the less kinky coily your hair was like the better off you were Whoa. like the more further away from the root so it kind of stuck around like you if you were like the byproduct of the master and you were had lighter skin and like like um less curly kinky hair then you're mm. considered to have good hair because that meant you could have better social standard and and climb into uh different parts of uh, society mm. so that it's definitely in a lot of other communities especially also the arab community like there's definite um like lighter hair is better straight hair is better lighter skin is better being tall is better all these things so mm. Yeah. And, 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 it, and it's because of European influence or yeah. it's huh. about like um, putting Europe as like the standard of beauty and the standard of hmm. um, what good is. And a lot of that comes from like colonialism and stuff like that. But hmm. I mean, we all feed into it, you know, if we don't aren't careful, like when people yeah. say like, oh, so and so is really cool because they're mixed. Like there's also fetishization of mixed kids now. Hmm. Um, but actually, like that's quite problematic that we're saying that one is better than the other hmm oh wow yeah. hmm uh i sneakily started recording just oh. so you know <laughs> <laughs> 
but that was some actually really good stuff because I feel like that launches us into what we want to talk about. Um, That's true. <laughs> I did not realize home. you were recording. <laughs> uh, it was just with the the hair stuff is what oh, I yeah, started yeah. Got, getting you. It was all good. I was like, shoot, dang it, this is all good <laughs> stuff. Um, welcome back, everyone. This is part two with Hadil, and uh, so Hadil, the one actually just off of what we were just ch- chatting yeah. about. Um, do you feel like it is? Okay, so bad to have a standard of beauty? I think it's bad to have a standard of this is the ideal beauty and that there isn't beauty in other parts of God's creation. Mm. So it would be bad also the other way around. If we're saying only dark skin or only curly hair is beautiful, then that also minimizes the rainbow of genetic possibilities that God has put together. Like mm-hmm. God has created all of us. And I think the standard comes from if all of us have equal dignity and value and beauty built in by God, because we're made in the image of God. If we say that one is higher than the other, that's a problem. It's like saying hmm. that God made a mistake and God made a mistake by making someone darker or someone lighter. Hmm. And I always felt that too, even for myself, I was like, oh, I don't look as Arab. Like I'm really pale. Like a in some parts of the United States, for example, like having light skin is not really the best thing. But then yeah. if you have dark skin, sometimes that's also not good. Like people, there's no winning. So there's mm. all sorts of yeah. rituals well, where now we tan ourselves, you know, like yeah. we got to look, we got to look, um, <laughs> we got to look beautiful by gotta making it tan. look like we're in the sun all the time and that yeah. we naturally tan. I'm the descendant of a redheaded uh, French Irish person. Like I'm, I'm not going to tan very easily. It's going to take time. Uh, and uh. when we say like, oh, you know, like there's a lot of uh, people who were, I was back in the time when we talk about blue blood, like a lot of that was royalty, but also it was a sign of people who didn't have to go out into the sun to work and their blood was blue because they're pale. Like their skin was super pale. Like if you look at your wrist, <laughs> the blood was blue and oh, so a lot of that comes from that too of beauty standards for what was good or what is not ideal changes throughout history but yeah. to say one well, is better than the others is dangerous in my opinion but so i guess um i don't need to die on this hill but i'm just gonna take it Go for, for it <laughs> just for a it, little Scott. bit but um well one it seems like standards of beauty change over time exactly like you said like people used to be like as pale as possible like paint on the white Mm. and like i would have done so well back then (laughs) you would have been just cream of the crop (laughs) um yeah so i do think you're right like mixed um yeah (laughs) i can't help it (laughs) yeah Uh, yeah like but so i guess what i'm wondering is it seems inevitable Mm -hmm. humans are always going to have um preferences yeah and and then there's kind of like mass movement preferences is maybe what you're talking about like through marketing and hollywood and um yeah probably like yeah even historical factors Mm. um but i wonder if isn't maybe the fetish about mixed a positive direction because it's like hey the more we blend that's like an attractive thing yeah i think i think i maybe see where you're coming from are you saying like it's good that we're mixing because we're not afraid to mix is well, that like, what you're so, saying you know, like if, if i'm thinking about god's kingdom like you yeah. know um 
he's about all colors and he's not at all like only white people in kind of thing and yeah. in the past i think there has been kind of like white is the um preferred beauty or whatever and so if we do start to move towards um mixed is beautiful isn't it, wouldn't that kind of be a reflection of his kingdom that it's like yeah yeah yeah, yeah. but i don't know as long as it's not diminishing another person value yeah so if we're saying that mixed is the ideal then if you're not mixed if you happen to have both white parents or both black parents or whatever then we can also fall into the trap of like oh we're not being cool enough we're not mixing enough which i also think is dangerous because mm. again it comes back to value of a person in christ like as they are image bearers every single person has value and beauty now preferences of what you find more attractive generally that also is shaped a lot of by what you see around you so For if sure. you mostly saw white people in the media as like the ideal of beauty then you might tend to think that white is your only preference. But if you were exposed to other types of races as well mm -hmm. on screen or whatever, you would start to see that they were also beautiful in their own ways. And so people naturally have their own preferences, but when exposed to different ones, like more intentionally, then mm. they also see that their preferences start to change a bit. Um, so I think, yeah, like instead of, there's a big movement of a lot of white women in America who are like, well, I only prefer black men. And that's problematic as well. Cause we're fetishizing it. Hmm. Like the way that I feel uncomfortable when white men are like, I like Asian women. And it just, it has like this creepy vibe to it of like, <laughs> I'm selecting someone to like breed a certain type of person hmm. as opposed to, I find this group attractive, but I also think there are a lot of other attractive people and you might be attracted to someone that doesn't fall in your quote unquote preferred racial group. So a lot of stereotypes yeah. say, oh, Asian men aren't attractive and that white women don't like Asian men, but white men love Asian women. So yeah, I, I hmm. think that that's an interesting world, but it's also, there's so much sin in it as well of where we value one person versus another. And a lot of it has like hmm. colonialistic roots too, like to say that white is better was a way of putting a certain minority people group in their place, quote unquote, hmm. Hmm. of they should know that we are higher class. And that in and of itself is problematic again, because I'm saying that I'm better than you and I'm trying to control you and your perception of yourself. So even things like some you might not think about is what is professional hair? When you go into an interview, if um, a woman comes in and she has like cornrows or she has a weave or she's got some sort of different setup, is she considered to be less professional than another colored woman who comes in and has straightened hair and is wearing a suit? And so mm. there's also those sorts of things where it's like, as long as you're clean, you wash your hair and you know, you don't smell really bad, that mm -hmm. is put together. But we have perceptions of like, if you Google professional hair versus unprofessional hair and do a google image search the results are pretty shocking you just see white straight hair and even hmm. for me i'm not a person of color but i don't have straight hair i always felt oh like is it unprofessional to have curly hair and there is even laws that had to be passed in certain areas because they were saying oh we're, we're discriminating against people for having i don't know dreadlocks and they're considered hmm. not professional so it can branch into 
what possibilities you have to you that you have to discard certain aspects of hair care or hair culture from your culture in order to fit into majority culture, which in the U.S. especially is white and usually straight hair. Hmm. Hmm. Yeah. Wow. Um, with dreadlocks, this yeah. could be a misconception, but isn't that the process of like not washing for months in order to create those? I definitely wouldn't say I'm an expert on it, but dreadlocks, it's more of like locking your hair. So it's like a little bit of like crocheting it in. It's not necessarily not washing your hair. It just huh. means kind of like locking it together so that it's like t- like a tight band, essentially. Oh. Um, so you can have locks. There's plenty of people who have locks and are very clean. Hmm. But I think hmm. there's a perception with it of like, you know, like Rasta vibes where you're just like a hippie, like, you know, like you're from Colorado. Like a lot yeah. of people that are there that have dreads are like, yeah, I just lived in the Himalayas for like five yeah. months. And like, yeah, I just really granola people. Yeah, exactly. Like they're growing granola in their hair. That's my perception. Basically. Yeah. Like what yeah, you got yeah. going on in there. Yeah. You just hide food. You could hide, you can hide bobby pins. But I weapons. guess maybe I'm thinking of like, yeah, maybe it's white dudes who are like dreadlocking, but then yeah. it takes kind of a process to get there. Um, yeah. How do you feel about if a black person was like, I only prefer black people? Like, yeah, attraction wise. I mean, that's that's up to them. Like, you can prefer who you prefer. Hmm. It's just. And I also can't speak on that fully because I'm not black, so I can't say. Um, but I think that you know, it's, it's fine to have a preference, but it's not okay to say that one is more valuable than another. Say, I'm generally attracted to other more chocolatey people versus Hmm. I will only date a certain race. Hmm. Again, there's a lot of history towards it, especially in the black community that I, I can't as a white person speak to fully um, because it's just not my place. But I think as long as it's not, oh, this person is more valuable than the other person, then it's it's more acceptable in my mind. Hmm. But as long as we're not diminishing the value of another human, that's the line. Hmm. Yeah. Yeah, it feels muddy, but I, I definitely see what you're saying. Yeah. Attraction is such, it, it's like such a subconscious level thing, but this yeah. is kind of what you're saying. Like that subconscious has been, imbued in us or or built over time as a result of messages that we've heard and things that we've watched and advertisements we've seen um and gosh that's just the question too how do you change someone's subconscious yeah yeah preferences or yeah especially if it's like feelings of safety or not safe or um trustworthy or not trustworthy or attractive or not attractive yeah um I think a lot of it has to do with what you're exposed to. So if you know that you're exposed and have only been exposed to white media or black media or only one thing to make sure that you're consciously consuming media that is has a bunch of different people in it. Because if you only see, let's say, for example, the show Cops in the United States, very popular. Mm-hmm. And you only see black people in the light of they're just constantly getting like snapped up for drug problems. Mm. You will start to believe and it gets into your psyche, into your unconscious biases as well, that only like black people are criminals, etc. But if you also see 
like different people in leadership who are black and you see like different movements or you see a movie with like black lead like more black leads etc like Hmm. the biases tend to shift a bit instead of thinking immediately oh black equals criminal you have other options to choose from and you have different things to see as opposed to putting a race behind um a certain category you're putting behaviors towards a certain category uh, as opposed to oh. saying all black people are drug dealers you hmm. could say this person was a drag- drug dealer and the behavior was selling drugs as opposed hmm. to also putting it into uh, the title of who they are of like immediately you notice that you say um i was followed by a black guy as opposed hmm. to i was followed by a guy like hmm. both of those are scary things hmm. but like somehow like there's something wrong with i am saying immediately as well by a black guy it feeds into sort of propaganda um, that's very intentionally placed in especially in american culture i would say Hmm. like if you Hmm. look at the way that headlines are written even you see the biases of whatever the whoever the author is immediately in the title Hmm. and there's this really good talk um by baratunde thurston that he did like a ted talk where he just analyzed different uh media headlines and you can see the biases just from the words themselves it's actually super fascinating because then you start Hmm. to see it for yourself as well. Yeah. And so then the advantage is to be able to parse out the messages that were being given. Yeah. And then also to be able to look inward and say, I have this reaction and now I can examine where that's coming from or why it's there. Yeah. My question, I have a question for you, Scott, because you've been here for like almost a year and a half, you said, Mm -hmm. have you heard about like in the Netherlands, Zwarte Piet? Yes. Have you, what, yeah, what are your thoughts on that? Like coming from an American perspective, I'm curious. Um, yeah, so my interaction with Svarta Pete was we took this like bike tour thing with this, um, he's actually an American dude, yeah. uh, like California surfer type guy that's been living here for I don't know, 20 years. <laughs> of course, yeah. Um, yeah, yeah, he had all sorts of like stories from the squatting days of Amsterdam. He's like, that's when it was a cool city. I was like, wow, sounds interesting. Um, <laughs> And yeah, so then he has a daughter who's in um, elementary school or something. And he was just talking about how, yeah, there's that controversy. So he, he is white. He, mm. Yeah. Um, and so I got that perspective. And then within our uh, NAV work, we've got some students from Curacao. And yeah. um, we were like Americans being like, hey, let's you know try to celebrate Dutch things. And it's around Christmas time. And Sinterklaas like we should have mm-hmm. a Sinterklaas party and then um asked one like hey could you help us but then she's like I don't celebrate this yeah um and so then that was also like a, a helpful eye-opening experience of like oh man like this is mm. there's not just one narrative here um yeah. and and then since have also kind of asked other people about it and so I think the the two general sides that I've picked up on I guess I don't know um is like um for some of our Dutch students who grew up, it was like a very innocent thing in there, mm-hmm. as I guess, of like the mischievous character and the saintly Sinterklaas guy. Yeah. That's one side. And then there's the other side of like, this had um, roots in like blackface type. Yeah. Uh, they were the slaves of the white Sinterklaas and they were portraying black little elf people. Yeah. Um, and... And actually, this is a great example of where do we go from there today? Because it's like, 
this is very clearly what it was yep. when it first started. We can see the pictures of like Swart to Pete's and chains and stuff. Um, and then we have like a, a Dutch, yeah, student who looks back on his childhood and like, it was innocent in a sense. And now I think they're trying to make it like a, you can choose any color. Swart to Pete can go down any multi, mm. like colored chimney and come out purple or, or something. Um, I think that's what the American oh. tour guide guy was saying. And yeah, so so then I guess I'm like, yeah, how do you both experiences are real. The yep. the oppression side of it, like this is not okay. And the innocent side of it as a child, maybe mm. now you're kind of like coming around of like, yeah, actually that's not okay. And and then you can make a choice of like, well, I'm not gonna partake in it. Yep. But um I don't know. That's that's my interaction. What how do you see it uh yeah i mean i think this comes in the tension of being an immigrant to the netherlands as well mm -hmm. like there's a part of me that's like oh i don't want to diminish your culture but then at the same time i'm like you also have to know that there are parts of your cult like the history or the traditions that are probably out of bad things like mm. zwarte piet is still called zwarte piet which is black peat right and right, so right. there's a lot of connotations around that that truly do come from racist roots hmm. and for some people that's perceived as innocent but it's more loving to say hey this is actually quite diminishing and harmful to another hmm. group what does that say about us that we're like no this is fine it's innocent it's okay hmm. um versus like i think back to when i was a kid and in the u.s there's like um well at least when i was a kid there's a church event that we would have called pilgrim and indians night where you could dress up as either a pilgrim or an Indian. And that was something, hmm. or Native American or First Nations uh, of the United States. And if you know anything about American history, the US did not treat the First Peoples, First Nations in the United States well at all. It's hmm. horrible, systemic um, movement of people groups, like ethnic cleansing, essentially. Hmm. And then when you make light of it, we as kids were dressing up as pilgrims or Native Americans or First Nation people. And a lot of people have like Native American roots. Like my dad likes to brag about our Native American roots, which it's like 0.1%. That's like yeah. zero reason we should be dressing up like them. Um, <laughs> and I think back, I'm like, ugh, that was so innocent. Huh. I didn't know any better, but the adults yeah. should have known better. And the yeah. adults should have like been like, hey, is this okay? Um, and so when I look back on that, I think dressing up as pilgrims as small white children was fine. Hmm. But also that interaction of the pilgrims and Indians represented some like major tension and some major problems hmm. of people groups taking over other people's land. So it to me has a very similar flavor to that where it was innocent and it's a nice thing to think about, but we don't have to continue in things like that. We can find innocence in things that don't also carry this intense historical weight to it of the shame that we haven't as a nation, an American nation, I could say, lamented for and actually made reconciliation with to say, hey, we didn't cause this ourselves. It like, I wasn't the person who drove out the Native American people, hmm. but I benefit from hmm. the system that that created. Mm -hmm. So to not acknowledge that and to not say that was wrong, we need to make restitution and like, take care of old wounds is also wrong so to me when there's the innocence factor i do agree there's definitely innocence but when you are no no better 
or when you are informed of how that impacts another person or your relationship with them. And the response is not, oh, this is not great because you feel diminished because of something deeply historical that I benefit from. Hmm. And if we don't move away from it, that to me is where the problem comes in hmm. of yeah, people saying, yeah, it's, it's innocent. It's fine. Like it's don't, you're just being too sensitive. That's really insensitive. <laughs> mm, mm. And so if we were, if you and I were, um, I don't know, we were working with kids either yeah. here or, or back in the States, what would be um, a revamped version of what you went through as a, as a kid? Like, what, how would you handle Pilgrim Night or however they handled, like titled it? I think, yeah, if I had to recreate that event for my children yeah. in the future, I would maybe make it just like learning something about that period of time. And maybe they can dress up as pilgrims. But I don't know. I haven't spent a lot of time thinking about that, but I would definitely make it an education of like, this is what the actual history of the nation is. You've heard a few different sides and it was wrong. And here's why. So it's like an opportunity, a teaching moment. And also mm. draw out the good things that came out. Like we had, there was a Thanksgiving, but you also cannot separate it from the fact that we brought new diseases and wiped out a people group because we weren't careful and we didn't actually think of them in mind. So I don't know how to do that in a way that's like also fun for children. Cause I actually do not make children's events, <laughs> but <laughs> there are, I think there's responsibilities of teaching children, children awareness of the history of their nation and how to conduct themselves as adults in the future of what yep. things to look out for. I think that would be the way that I would twist it. So even with Zvarta Pete, I have friends, like we don't call him Zvarta Pete, we just say Pete. Hmm. And then um, like hmm. there's been some traditions where they, it's a Dutch guy that's like a white European Dutch guy with just like some smear of like charcoal on his face because his face is dirty, but right. not entirely covering his face in intense black face. For sure. Um, where that could be different. But yeah, <laughs> I think the the words themselves carry weight and value that we don't think of. So saying Zvartapit inherently has a lot of racist connotations to it, mm -hmm. even though people are like, no, but that's just what he's been called. Just because something is a tradition doesn't mean it's something that we should carry forward. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and it's not saying get rid of the fun things. It's do the fun in a way that's constructive and helpful to the people around you and knowing your nation's history. Hmm. 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 Yep. Yeah, I think that's a really good thought. Yeah, it's like small tweaks that still have little Pete, who's yeah. mischievous little guy, who has his face dirty, but yeah, he doesn't need to be black faced. And yeah, no, don't necessarily need to call him Sparta. So, is there um, positive movement in that direction within how things are handled here in the Netherlands? I I think so. I mean, I'm definitely not an authority on it. I've I know that um, there's been a movement. And the Netherlands of saying Zvarta Piet is racism. And there's a big push of saying, guys, we need to account for this. I think some cities have said, and this is just off of my memory only, listeners mm. are probably screaming in their microphones like, no, this is not right. I hear you, but I can't hear you. Um, <laughs> of um, the city apologizing 
for the actions of the past. Um, but it has to be both that rhythm of like public apology and taking acceptance or ownership for something, even if it wasn't technically you as responsible. Right. Um, and then also walking forward. So actually a really great book that helped me think about this more, especially like in the wake of uh, Black Lives Matter movement that happened last summer mm. of was written by this girl named Latasha Morrison called Be the Bridge. And it's talking about racial reconciliation in the church mm. and how the church has been, especially in America, very complicit with racism and practices that are truly evil and the rhythms of just because you did not do this thing does not mean you did not benefit from it and does not mean that you should not lament and say we should fix this hmm. or change this even if it's not something that you can change in your lifetime that still the work of reconciliation and um restitution is something that we're called to as believers as followers of jesus we're called to um show a trailer of the coming kingdom hmm. of heaven and earth together of jesus bringing all things into right relationship we're supposed to be that foretaste and even if you know that all the efforts won't fix it in this lifetime it doesn't mean that you don't do anything it means you still do it knowing that it will not be fully fixed but not doing anything is wrong hmm. and not moving into it with the space of saying Jesus is ultimately reconciling this and I will still do the work that needs to be done now, even if it won't completely solve the problem because we're mm -hmm. human we're sinful and we will continue to be very racist, but it doesn't mean that we don't stop or call out behavior, especially as followers of Jesus that are damaging to the kingdom and damaging to the value ascribed that God has put into each person, regardless of race regardless of choices in life. Hmm. Hmm. So let's still talk broad and then move it back into the church, but how will we know when progress is being made? Hmm. I think there's the, a few thoughts coming to my head with that. There's the assumption that society is progressing and there are things that i think that we are progressing in but there's nothing new under the sun like mm -hmm. there for the first time i think what was casey was saying in your last episode with him that there have been major steps in laws towards equality but we also know that inequality still is existing even with these laws and systems hmm. so to say in a progressive mindset to say, oh, society is continually progressing. I think that society is progressing in some areas and regressing in others. And that we see other things we're like, oh, it's finally getting better. But true progression doesn't happen aside from Jesus being the transformative heart power. Hmm. So when it's, um, you know, like marriage equality acts like to let uh, people all be married, uh, regardless of heterosexual or homosexual or to have laws in place that protect against discrimination of hiring practices for race based off of race or hair or um, sexual orientation or um, whether or not you're going to have a baby soon, all these things to protect, like those are progressive in its nature. But progressivism is also not something that truly will come into place until Jesus fully reconciles everything. So mm -hmm. I don't know that there's a way you can say that society has truly progressed because 
I think that society has progressed in aspects, but in other areas, it's gotten worse. Hmm. So yeah, I think the idea that society is just getting better and better and better. I don't know that I fully ascribe to that. Yeah. 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 No, I hear what you're saying. <clears throat> yeah. I guess I'm just wondering like, what would be some tangible, I think you even kind of mentioned it, like the city's apologizing and owning for the, the racism of the past through yeah. with Svante Pete, as well as creating yeah new ways of celebrating that holiday or something. So that would be a yeah. sign of like, okay, these are some positive steps. But then I'm wondering like, would that be truly progress or would that only be like, yeah, you've only scratched the surface. There's so much more we need to do or. I think that's a sign of some progression towards reconciliation. I don't know that that's actually fully attacking the problem. It will never Mm -hmm. be fully reconciled, but that doesn't mean that we don't call people in authority and responsibility to take ownership for things that they've benefited from that have marginalized other people. Hmm. So let's say, um, let's say that the, the city apologizes for the behavior, but doesn't stop the Zvarta Pete, doesn't does do some sort of rebranding of it's hmm. Pete, mm-hmm. not Zvarta Pete, doesn't ban blackface, then that's like, I apologize with my words. It's like saying, I don't know, you have a fight with your wife and she's like, listen, what you did was not okay. And you're like, oh, I'm sorry, baby. It's it's all my fault. I'm so sorry. This is how I imagine you speak to Brianna. Uh, <laughs> this is all my fault. I'm just so sorry. But so then sorry, you baby. just keep on doing it. And then she's like, you are not actually sorry and you're not actually taking ownership for it versus someone who's like, okay, I'm also looking into how I behave and what I bring. So it's not only just personal responsibility, but there's like a corporate responsibility as well of even if I didn't do the wrong or if even if I didn't discriminate against someone in a way that was not biblical, like, uh, I don't want to say it that way, but even if I didn't do the racist behavior that the church has done in many other parts of society, that doesn't mean that I am absolved of responsibility because I have benefited from that in the past and also i'm part of the church it's my responsibility to apologize on behalf of the church and save the church we have things that we need to repent for Hmm. and things that we need to work in because far from perfect i mean we're the bride of christ but i mean the the metaphor and the image of the bride of christ is how many times was it uh, the bride of christ cheating on god and he's like i still love you Hmm. and like still coming back too so yeah I don't know if that answers your question. I lost what the original one was. <laughs> no, no, it's helpful. Yeah, I, I think that, yeah. I think the reason I ask is, well, I just think humans need to have tangibles of yeah. like, okay, well, here, here's how we can know that we're, we're moving in the right direction. And, um, I think it's constant dialogue, right? It's, making sure that you're getting real input from people who are different than you. Like if you, if your circle of friends is only, let's say for us expats and we don't truly lean into the people that make up the place that we live in that don't look like us or don't speak English as a native language or um, don't have the same belief systems. If we're not also keeping in check with them 
and like understanding how to love people better, not forsaking truth, but how to love people better, um, then that's dangerous. We start to become our own little little bubble that yeah. is like, you know, see no evils, speak no evil, hear no, right. say no evil. Everything's good. We're all on the same page. Everything's fine. We're all the same, but like community is not the same as, uh, yeah. and unity is not the same as everybody looking the same. Hmm. And it's not just having everyone look different for the sake of like, oh, I have a black friend, like good for you. Congratulations. Like that's your one token black person. But have you asked yourself, why does there not so many black people around me? When I know that maybe the city has a lot of black people. Huh. Or like asking those questions that are quite uncomfortable, frankly. Like I ask myself these questions, like, do I only have friends that mostly, like my, my close friends, are they mostly just native English speakers? And I've formed my own expatriate bubble. Or am I actually actively seeking out the welfare of those around me who are Amsterdamers, who are Dutch as their native language? Maybe you're from Curacao, maybe you're from one of the other ABC islands, and you're from Suriname, or um, or you're from India, or whatever. Like anywhere in the world that's not similar to me, or English speaking, or British colonized countries. Hmm. I think uh, being intentional with that is very hard because it's very uncomfortable. It's easier to be friends with people who are like you, who speak your same language, who understand your shared context. But it's so much more fruitful when you get to see a completely different perspective. So for me, when I know this or I see this in myself and I'm like, oh, this actually makes me very uncomfortable. Why? Like I need to understand why I'm uncomfortable and maybe lean into that a little bit more. Hmm. And that's not to say you don't have friends that have the same language and culture as you. That's not true. But it's more of, am I intentionally making sure that my perspective is rounded out and that I'm hearing from more than just one color palette of God's kingdom? Hmm. That feels like a fine line, finding like the moving outside my color palette without tokenization. Mm. Yeah, that's tricky. Yeah. How do you how do you see it though? Like, cause you lead uh, like a ministry for students and international students. Like, how do you, as someone that is a white man, that a straight white man, there is certain privilege around it. Mm-hmm. And I say this as a straight white woman as well. Mm-hmm. Like, live into that a bit more with like your ministry as well. Hmm. Yeah. No. I mean, I think I'm. Yeah, just getting confronted with this. I think even as I think about this podcast, like. Uh, and maybe I'll give myself grace because I'm just starting, but <laughs> I am just, yeah, I've mostly interviewed uh, native English. I guess they're not native, but expats here in the in city. And yeah. Um, yeah, so I was like, oh, it would be smart to, yeah, get a feel for somebody who's um, Dutch and, and yeah. loves the city and what's it like to have expats and what would you wish for them to kind of meet you halfway yeah. and coming to the culture but then also um i yeah i should i i think i've only had maybe white people on yeah and so that's also potentially confronting um but it but it, like that is the fine line it's like okay wait, so i've got this podcast and this is what my guests have been so far mm. but so then it's like okay in order to break that whoa yeah i need to go put on my like black glasses and just be like okay where are they you know where are you mm-hmm. at which is like, I don't want to do that. Um, but so then I do have some friends within our ministry. So I would yeah. like, okay, I would love to interview you guys. Yeah. But it is a little bit because 
of how you are and you know like yeah i see where you're coming from so it's just weird I think, it just feels weird all over the place but first of all yeah i think it's it's not a scott you've only interviewed white people what are you doing <laughs> it's um it's more of a hey let's let's keep an eye on this and actually move forward and realize and like check ourselves yeah. and not assume that we have the full picture of because i also ask myself these same questions like i I think I mostly run in mostly white, mostly English speaking circles. And I think when you're seeking out different opinions or different thought processes, it's only tokenism if you're like, oh, I just want to check the box because I have one, I have a black friend and I just want to like get them on the show. As opposed to saying, hey, I consciously know that I don't have a lot of people of color with a different perspective or different experience than me. I need to repent of that and I need to move into spaces that maybe are different or uncomfortable that I might not even know what I need to know. Um, and to say, hey, I'm sorry that I have to learn this way, but how can I learn from you? Hmm. Um, and like, what are things that you think I'm not that are not being heard that that you think are maybe damaging to the kingdom or hmm. that are not fully representing the beauty and the the depth of god's creation hmm. i think hmm. that's definitely the way to avoid it being like tokenism like if you were saying to me hey i've got my next friend joining he is a person of color and like <laughs> it's great they're a person of color but then i start to get suspicious that you're just using them for like oh yeah. it's on trend to have people of color or or do you actually care about that so yeah i think it's hard because i think my the natural response for people who are in majority culture like you and me of when i hear this and when i first heard these sort of questions posed to me i was like but i haven't done anything wrong i don't like dislike black people i didn't dislike uh asians or whatever but then i'm like oh but why am i reacting this way maybe there's a grain of truth of like maybe mm. i should look into this a bit more and see why am i being so defensive to just being lovingly called out and say, Hey, like diversify your, your, the voices that speak into your life. Hmm. Um, so I think another way as well, because it's hard, you can't, especially with COVID can't really feet, meet people face to face, but a lot of it is trying to expose myself to different types of media or different types of um, voices that I would normally not listen to. Mm -hmm. So who are the people who have a different experience, a different culture, a different skin color, a different background to me. And sometimes like when I find that they're making me uncomfortable, I'm like, oh, actually that's good. I need to lean into that. Why am I being, why am I feeling weird? And it's not a bad thing. I think mm. that we don't like to wrestle with things that are slightly uncomfortable because it makes us uncomfortable. Mm -hmm. um, but yeah, there's definitely a smart way to go about it and not fully absolve yourself of responsibility, but also to be curious going into and going in with an open mindset of like, yeah, there's probably wrong that I've been doing that I just haven't seen. It's like when we ask and we pray and we're saying, Holy Spirit, reveal to me what it is that you want to speak into my life. Holy Spirit knows. Hmm. It's just not all the things are let out at the same time. So hmm. it's a process and it's a journey, but it's not something that's like, hey, you haven't ticked this color box so therefore you're not good it's more yeah. of a hmm let's let's keep it let's keep tabs on this and then also say hey i i realize this is something i want to learn in hmm. or yeah or why is that there but, yeah. and i was just thinking too <clears throat> the, the color box really isn't helpful but there's so much language that kind of 
push us in that way. It's like, well, you as a white person, are you propelling people of color, black voices or mm. uh, minority voices? And I think a better, I think a better way to approach it is, and I think this is what I'm hoping to do in the podcast. Again, I'm early, yeah. so I've got room to grow, but I'm pursuing uh, perspectives that are different than mine. So that's yeah. why I try to, I interview uh, somebody who's from the Christian side of things and then uh, someone who's from a yeah. not Christian side of things. Um, and it could also, yeah, I mean, just in any other faith or, um, and so in that sense, I'm pursuing cognitive dissonance, like yep. that feeling of how I once thought things were is getting rubbed up against because they have a different perspective. Mm. And so then hopefully if I continue to pursue cognitive dissonance every single time I'm on the episode, then and, and if I take a representative of the people that I know, mm. then hopefully my friend from Curacao might come on. And uh, and like maybe my drug dealing friend from Morocco that hangs out in front of our door, like maybe he'd come in on mm. or. Um, yeah. And so in that sense, like. I guess my approach has been who are the people that are different from me or think different thoughts or um, yeah. how can I get them on here? Yeah, it feels like once I go into like the color space, then it gets a little weird, but maybe that's just. I think it, yeah, it depends on how you approach it, right? Like if you're like, well, I need to take the box and I need to get a Moroccan on here. Yeah. I mean, sorted. You got the guy outside. So, you know, you could just get him on there. But I think when you go about and you're just like, hey, I just want to get this person on. And then you learn something from that person and that will spur on a further thought or a further thing to explore. So let's say you have your Moroccan friend on the podcast and he reveals something. You're like, ah, I actually don't know anything about that. I'll hmm. find somebody who actually has something to say on that. Yeah, yeah. That will beget more conversations that are separate from what only limited to who you know, because I will know people that you don't know or so on and so forth who have different viewpoints than myself or you um, that can help this conversation hmm. or can help us to have a deeper level of understanding and if it's just based off of like tick color boxes that's also wrong but it's also helpful to check and be like ah i don't actually have a lot of colored friends i wonder why that is hmm, hmm. and that's a different question hmm. it doesn't frame it as like i need to get black people because i need to get my listenership up hmm. and hmm. that that has like a weird uzi vibe and hmm. we're like yeah no <laughs> it's weird but yeah i think it's an interesting to percolate on yeah. for sure and i've been yeah. thinking about this for about a year or so now and it's only because of not realizing how much of the history that i was taught hmm. was whitewashed or only from one perspective and not looking critically at what i've learned or what i've been taught or what environment what water i swim in hmm. and be like why is this water wet I didn't think about it. Like I didn't realize I was a fish in a water tank until hmm. somebody was like, wow, it's really wet in here. And you're like, what? <laughs> what are you talking about? <laughs> what were so, yeah. one of those moments or what was one of those moments? Um, I think sadly for me, a bigger awakening was Black Lives Matter movement of like realizing, wow, there's a lot of like unconscious biases that I have myself. Like, hmm. why am I suspicious of, uh, like a black theologian or a black uh, speaker or preacher 
And why Hmm. do I implicitly trust only white theologians and white preachers? Hmm. And, uh, but that was spurred on by the Black Lives Matter movement of like, suddenly everyone is forced to pause. Everyone has more of a bandwidth to see what's going on in their world because the only way you can is with the internet. Hmm. Um, And then being exposed to the reality of being a person of color to small degrees because I will never fully understand it but realizing that it's this journey that if I have a posture of learning throughout this that's great so like when I've Mm. been around like my black friends or colleagues or whatnot yeah I I think there's a certain shame that I feel of like oh I've benefited from systems of whiteness Mm. and there have been things that I understand the marginalized perspective of to a degree, like immigrant family and being a woman um, that, yeah, that, that was spurred on a lot, like intensified, I would say from the summer in terms of like women and and the church, that's a whole nother topic and whole nother thought process. But Hmm. um, I think the conversations that have been most valuable to me were the people that I've learned to trust much more are the people who, recognize where their privilege is or what they have that others don't have and also are like and I know this and I value your perspective and I need to make sure that I'm listening to you um and not just using your perspective to make me look better Um, Mm. so for example a lot of people feel uncomfortable if you walk into a church that has stained glass windows of only white biblical characters Mm. you wouldn't think about that but you know like you walk into the Vandalkirk and like all of the stained glasses, white characters, Jesus got white skin. He has really long hair. And you're like, well, Jesus using Pantene, something like that. So like, it's just, you wouldn't think about that because that's the water is wet. I'm white as well. I didn't really think about that huh. until somebody's like, yeah, you didn't think that maybe that makes someone uncomfortable yeah. or maybe have this perception that I don't belong here. Similar to when I went to that adventure camp and yeah. I realized, yeah, I don't belong here, but maybe nobody else realized that that was something I was thinking or feeling that maybe mm. yeah and there's freedom in the cross right like it's not like that you cannot meet jesus in a church with you know stained glass windows and white people in the window but it's something to bear in mind so i think mm. the people who i've really valued have been for great example knowing that they had a privileged position and not taking it for granted and also making sure that the voices of others that don't look like them were being considered and considered in a respectful way. Yeah. And you can tell when somebody's using you as like, oh, we finally have somebody of color, somebody of like, we have a woman in the room versus genuinely valuing. I don't know what it's like for you. And I want to make sure that I don't squelch you. Hmm. Um, you can get that tone from people really quickly. Hmm. There you have it, folks. Thank you so much for listening. This has been part two with Hadil, and we have yet another part to come out where we talk about Christianity and women in the church and leadership or what narratives come through the Bible uh, towards men, towards women, and what it's like to hear those grow up in them. So I hope you stick around and listen to her part three. And if this is your first episode of the podcast, then you better go out there and listen to some new guests. Thanks for being here. Thanks for listening. Let's keep the dialogue going.